What's so fascinating is the feedback we get from adults and students and kids who've gone off to college, the power of keywords. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Andrew, today we are going to be talking about Units 1 and 2 from our Teaching, Writing, Structure, and Style syllabus. And that's because it is August. It is the end of August, getting ready to start in September. And so we want our families and teachers to know how to start strong in September with Teaching, Writing, Structure, and Style. Well, that's always good. Uh, This is going to replace, then, our Monday night webinars which I have had to do yes. every month for a long, long time. And they were absolutely delightful, and we got some great feedback and questions that happened at those live events. And we still have a recording of those webinars available at iew.com slash webinar hyphen archive. And so we'll have that link in the show notes so they can still go back and listen to a longer version of what we're talking about today. Okay, so this is kind of a pep talk, a little bit of insight, and then reminding people that if they do have questions that they might want to have asked Mm -hmm. during a webinar, they can always email, chat, call our team. Right, right. Or you could ask them, listener, of us on podcast at IEW.com. And every 10 episodes, as you probably know, we do an Ask Andrew Anything. And so, Andrew, maybe some of those questions will come that way, too, and we can ask them again on our webinar. Well, that would be fun. Well, this is the basic basics of Unit 1 and 2. Right. So there shouldn't be too many questions. (laughs) Perhaps. And I just want to invite our listeners who do not own the teaching, writing, structure, and style seminar to consider purchasing that. It's It might be time. If you are buying our product new from any of our resellers, you will note that it's always the same price, $189. That comes with the DVDs. Or if you don't have a DVD player, you can buy it for $129, and then you get the video streaming. So this with is- with all that money you save, you could go buy a disc player to attach to the <laughs> device you have that doesn't play discs. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so this podcast that we're doing is primarily for people who have gone through our course, but just kind of an overview of Units 1 and 2, maybe a refresher or maybe just some basic information so that, well, they can start strong in September. So Unit 1 is? Note making and outlines. As we say it in the official TWSS book. Correct. And of course, a lot of people, when they think note-making, note-taking, you know, what is that? They have, you know, an experience of their time in high school or college taking notes from lectures, or some people maybe took notes from their textbooks, although most times people kind of highlight stuff there and then hope to have time to go back and read it again. But our system really is remarkable 
I've never seen anyone else teach this quite it, really anywhere close to the way we do. Mm-hmm. And yet what's so fascinating is the feedback we get from right. adults and students and kids who've gone off to college, the power of keywords. Mm-hmm. Yes, and a creating a keyword outline, just a couple comments that I'm aware of, is that it's not necessarily something unique to IEW. In fact, keyword outline is used in other places, but not in the way that we teach it and not in the place that we teach it, which is the very first thing students learn to do is to create a keyword outline. Yeah. And I love that. A short little source text, Aesop fable, interesting information about an unusual animal or place or person at or below reading level. And of course, all our materials provide many, many source texts for people to choose from, or once they do a couple and get the hang of it, they can go find their own, write their own, and read the first sentence, choose three words, copy those words into an outline, uh, separating them by commas, read the next sentence, choose those words, copy, separate by commas, read, choose, copy, read, choose, copy, until they have done the whole paragraph. The whole paragraph or the whole source text. Mm -hmm. It could be more than one paragraph. Um, And then they have the keyword outline. So just that alone is very interesting because it forces people to do a few things. Number one, they have to slow down and stop after each sentence and kind of ask themselves a question. What did that sentence mean? Mm-hmm. What are the key words? Which words carry the meaning out of the prose and into the outline? That's a valuable thing. And we've had, of course, dozens if not hundreds of reports of parents and, and teachers and special ed people pointing out that just doing that it helps greatly with reading comprehension. Right. Exactly. Now, there's another part of note making an outline that we teach in unit one, and that is? Well, telling it back. Mm-hmm. So in copying the key words, they have to attend to, of course, the, the spelling of those words. So that's in itself some good practice for younger students. Mm-hmm. And then the next step of using the keyword outline is to test it. Now, I think a lot of people have a, they just kind of fall into this idea that now the when the student tells back the content in sentences from the keyword outline, that it's a test of them, mm-hmm. of the student. But I try to make abundantly clear and, and reiterate again and again, no, this is the student learning to test the outline. And if for some reason the student isn't able to reconstruct the meaning from those keywords, well, that's not the student's fault. That's That's a... A, a slip there. So go back and read the content again. Be sure you understand it. Or maybe if you wrote three keywords and it didn't help you reconstruct the idea, maybe you want to change one of those keywords so that it better reflects that idea. So the telling it back has the value of helping the student understand why they wrote the words they wrote. It helps them when they speak in a complete sentence the idea back, they hear what they're speaking and then 
are more well prepared to write it. And of course, we also teach in the context of Unit 1 the idea of introducing public speaking mm -hmm. into your teaching environment, whether it's at home with a sibling or two and, and dad, uh, whether it's in a, a co-op style or hybrid school type of class where they can meet and do that more formally, or in a five-day-a-week classroom where you can get lots of formal public speaking in if you just uh, allocate, you know, 10, 12 minutes a day. So that's a great, great aspect of it. And Dr. Webster, you know, he always pointed out to me he didn't like it when people called it a writing program because in his mind, in his vernacular, it was always a verbal and written mm. communication program. You, were, you mentioned Dr. Webster and, of course, this syllabus, these nine units that we're going to be heading one a month for the next few months were developed by Dr. Webster. How did he come up with this note-making idea? <laughs> well, that's kind of an interesting story. I actually wrote a little bit about that in an article. I think it was entitled uh, Squirrely Students Inspire Structure and Style, yes, exactly. which is available if people want to read it or they missed it in the Magalog. But he was a very young teacher doing middle school, and he was instructed by the curriculum, by the administration, the district, whatever, to use this new idea that had just come out. He learned it in a teacher in-service, and it was called collaborative writing. So the idea was that instead of just, you know, give an essay question to all the students and make them write on their own, which of course failed many of them, well, why not write together? Right? So everybody can contribute ideas, and then the teacher would write down all the ideas on the board, and the students would then copy you know, that more or less. So this would solve the problem of you know, the kids, I don't know what to write, I can't think of anything. Well, of course, he lived in the days uh, where there were horrible behavior problems happening <laughs> in middle school classes, awful things like passing notes, spit wads, <laughs> and contraband comic books <laughs> under the desk. So with these disastrous behavior issues to deal with, he found that when he was back to the class writing on the blackboard, well, all this aberrant behavior uh, would occur, and he couldn't look at them behind his back and keep writing on the whole sentence that the student, whoever had dictated. And so he, he thought, well, if I could just write a, a few words then I could quickly spin around and catch the, uh, you know, perpetrators of spitwadding and note passing and comic book reading before they could get too far into their crime. <laughs> and uh, so he did that. So instead of write the whole sentence, he just put a few words, separated them with a comma. And then what he found, of course, was that there was a whole lot more variety in what the students individually wrote with this keyword method rather than the collaborative writing the way he had learned it in the in-service. So that was the beginning, and then he quickly realized that this same idea could be applied to the content areas. So in his day, uh, he was teaching most all of the subjects, you know, not just grammar and composition, right. but also history and geography and music, and even some science. You know, it was mm -hmm. very integrated mm -hmm. in those days, the teachers. So he uh, simply said, well, we can apply this 
idea to the text that the students have to read and study. And then, of course, he knew, uh, as most of us would agree, common sense, if you want to learn something well, what do you do? Talk about it. Write about it. Right? You can read a thing and forget it quite easily. But if you read a thing, take notes, and retell it, right. well, then it goes into your memory yep. in a much more powerful way. So that's kind of the point where he got into doing a lot of writing about all these subjects using as the basic tool that keyword outline. Keyword outline. So my takeaways from Unit 1, just in my own experience of teaching that I'd like to share, mm-hmm. is this lays the foundation for everything that we teach at IEW. Students will continue to write from a keyword outline, starting with Unit 1, going all the way through Unit 9 and beyond, and I love that. It helps to create more organized writing. Secondly, as they're taking notes, they're just learning to choose just a few words, which is different than any other type of outlining or that you might just intuitively do as you're sitting through a lecture. You want to capture everything, and then you lose it because you can't keep up. So the key word really helps with comprehension later. And then this importance of telling it back, not only is that helpful for all students just to help them rehearse what they're eventually going to do in Unit 2, which we'll get to in a minute, it helps English language learners and special needs children to practice what they're going to say before they have to say it. And maybe for the little guys or those that struggle with dysgraphia, maybe that's all they're going to get. I think spending more time in Unit 1 for most students would not hurt them and likely help them as they grow into our structural model. So even those high school students, even those college students, even me when I was learning this as a homeschooling mom, after I, I taught junior high, for one semester, I did not last as long as Dr. <laughs> Webster did. Get me out of there. God bless junior high teachers. I couldn't stand couldn't stand their squirreliness. But if I think I had this method, well, I love the primary grades. So yeah, that's what well, I thought. One of the things I have heard many high school teachers tell me is, well, these kids come to us. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to outline. Right. And then the honestons will confess I'm not sure how to teach them to do outlining. Right. It seems like it's something they should have already have learned. Uh, and maybe the middle school teachers have that same, how do you teach this? Mm-hmm. Is there a program mm-hmm. that would teach outlining formally? Well, the answer is, yeah, we have it. Mm-hmm. It just looks different kind of than the, you know, the world book style outline at the end with the you know, big Roman numeral and the big A and the little one, two, and then the little <laughs> A and then the littler one, two, and you, you can go on forever and ever. The simplistic form, but for most part, that's all anyone really needs. Right. And then in planning composition. And uh, one thing you said made me think of a point I try to make clear is that the reason we put unit one and two together is because they really can be done concurrently. So you would, if anyone's watched me teach a demonstration class or on the video or a student workshop, an introductory student workshop, I always do a keyword outline of an Aesop fable or a source text with usually an interesting bird or insect or something. And, and we go right into writing it right there in that first two-hour 
exposure, and almost no one has a problem there. So you can go right in to Unit 2. But at the same time, you don't have to take every single outline you make and write it into a composition. So my thought is that you can do several keyword outlines a week because mm-hmm. it doesn't take that long. Mm-hmm. You can make the outline and connect it with something you're doing in history or social studies, something in science, religion or theology, whatever, and do several of those. And then take one or two and go to the next step of writing it into paragraph or paragraphs and mm-hmm. and starting it on style techniques. So that's why they kind of can happen concurrently. And there's value in just doing the out, keyword outline, tell it back, and then unit two, of course, you can move right in. Right. So speaking of unit two, let's move right in to <laughs> unit two. What's different about unit two? Well, this now you have, it, it's an extension from unit one. It's not a different model per se, again, which is why we treat them together. But you you have your keyword outline, you've told it back maybe once or twice, and now you can just start writing those sentences. We've had tremendous success with ELL, ESL students, young, middle, even mm-hmm. adults mm-hmm. with this method because one thing, it, it's it's very tight modeling. So mm-hmm. it comes from a complete sentence. It goes into hints, as Benjamin Franklin called them, hints of the short, short hints of the sentiment in the sentence. And then they can easily put it back into a complete sentence. So it's very good, very tight modeling. We have tremendous success with the dyslexic dysgraphic mm-hmm. kids because they're the ones whose visual challenges will make worse the stress of having to do the process, which is too complicated. Right. So in breaking down the whole process into smaller, more manageable, separate chunks, they are less stressed. They can look at it with more space around it. And I, of course, always recommend whether you have a a dyslexic tendency student visual issue or not, it's always good to double space. Mm -hmm. Right. So double space your outlines, double space your prose. You can just see it better and then you can make changes more easily. So the, uh, the writing it out in Unit 2, most of the important or more difficult or less familiar words are in the outline ready to go. And if you're using source texts that are at or below the reading level of the student, then there's almost a guaranteed success. If that goes well, then you can easily increase the complexity of the source text and see the see a, a higher level of sophistication in the writing. And so this uh, this is great because then the habit is we write from outlines. Uh, if you always have an outline and you always write from outlines, as we move in to the other units, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, uh, that habit of outlining will be strong. And you won't have kids who say, well, I don't like outlines. I hate writing them because they will have essentially gone through the system, and in many cases grown up, mm-hmm. uh, figuratively speaking, or literally, uh, doing outlines. Yep. I, I love in our seminar workbook, so I'm holding the second edition of our seminar workbook that accompanies the teaching, writing, structure, and style syllabus. On page 14, there's a source text 
given to Benji, he's a primary student, on leopards. And he does a keyword outline on leopards. And his little keyword outline is yellow, tan, black, and then he's drawn a little picture of spots. Oh. Because letters, symbols, and abbreviations are free. So he drew little spots because he needed another word because you can only use two or so three. So little keys. spots are a symbol for spots. A spot, yes, about that. <laughs> and then, so that's on page 14 in the unit one section of this notebook. And then in the unit two section, you see that exact same keyword outline that now Benji has turned back into a paragraph. In primary, it's Benji writing about leopards. In the elementary, it's Moriel writing about hummingbirds yeah. in a nutshell, yeah. which is very sweet. That's your daughter, of course. And then, So there's lots of samples in the seminar workbook, but I just wanted to point out that what we did here was show that process of Unit 1 going into a keyword outline, right. and then Unit 2 taking that keyword outline and turning it back into a paragraph. You know, and I occasionally hear people wondering, well, isn't this kind of going to promote plagiarism? Mm. You know, aren't, isn't their version going to be so close to the original that it's kind of like not legal. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's a good study there to compare. Here was the original source text, and here's what the student produced with that keyword outline in a buffer. In a way, it's the solution to yes. plagiarism because otherwise if you say write a report about leopards, well, what are you going to do? Go, you know, copy from the encyclopedia. Right. Or, well, these days you don't even have to open a book. You can just cut and paste from, right. from an online encyclopedia. Uh, but, but in a way, this is the solution to the perennial problem of, you know, how do you move a fact from one place to another without accidentally copying huge chunks of the sentence? Right. Now, if you were uh, a teacher going through this course and you got to the end of Unit 2, you would write about elephants. And the stylistic techniques that you would include in your essay on elephants would be all the dress-ups. Yep, all six of them, which all is, at once. And the reason I bring that up here <laughs> is what you say to the teachers is don't do what I'm teaching you. Right. We, we in the TWSS, you know, it's it's aimed for adults, it's aimed for f professionals, teaching parents. It's assuming, you know, that you can handle uh, a lot at one time. So we teach all six of the dress-ups in one session and then force – we do then we, we do it together with the book lice, mm -hmm. demonstrate all together, you know, collaborative writing. Here's how the dress-ups would – all six of them fit in a paragraph – and then we say, yep, here's yours. Here's your source text. Make your outline. Write your paragraph on infrasound and elephants. And here's your checklist, all six dress-ups. And, you know, we do that for a couple reasons. Number one, we've got so much to cover. We can't string this out for 10 days like the original yes. course in Gruard that I took back in 1990. Mm -hmm. But number two, it's also a little bit of a good lesson on why you don't do to your children what... I just did to you. <laughs> right. Uh, and so when people get stressed and say, oh, could I just like write it out and not think about all those dress ups and then just see if I have them? Well, if a student says that, could I just kind of ignore the checklist and just write it? Well, then they're really saying, you know, you taught me too many things too fast. So I'm sure we'll get back to this in another podcast. But our rule for introducing 
the stylistic techniques is easy plus one, meaning you teach one thing when it becomes easy, then and only then do you add in the next technique, put it on the checklist, now you have two in each paragraph of each composition, and when that's easy, you add in the third one, and only when that's easy would you add in a fourth. Uh, so if I gave the teachers in the, in the seminar uh, a runway of two or three assignments and dropped in a couple dress-ups each time, that would have been a different experience for them. But we, we just don't have time. Don't it's have not time. practical. But so, you'll see that's how we do all the student courses. Right, exactly. And so to that end, do you have any advice for just general age groups? Like if you're in the elementary age group, how many do they start with in Unit 2? Well, I think if we look at most of our materials, we start with one or maybe two. Mm -hmm. uh, when I do a live introductory workshop mm -hmm. for uh, grade three to five kids, I usually start with the LY adverb, mm -hmm. of course. And if it's an Aesop fable, I'll use said as a banned word mm -hmm. and do synonyms for said mm -hmm. and start with those two. And then I'll, I'll usually say something like this. So, you know, who's nine or younger? Okay, you're done. You don't have to add anything more to your checklist, just those two, th those two things. So if, uh, you know, 11 or older, then I'll, I'll say, okay, here, add in this new one and give them a third one for a first assignment. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, some kids, well, what if you're 10? What okay. if you're 10? They don't get to All be right, in the well, class? All right, well, if you're 10 and smart, you can do the <laughs> added technique, but you don't have to. You know, let them kind of decide, do I yeah. want the challenge or not? Yeah. So usually starting in that elementary with two, you know, that's a safe way to go. And then, you know, with the middle school, usually go with the L-Y, who, which, and then the strong verb, starting with three. Mm -hmm. That's very reasonable, and most everybody can handle it. And, uh, of course, I'm giving them lots of substitutes for weak verbs mm -hmm. so that there's words all over the whiteboard. Mm -hmm. And then if they say, well, I can't think of one, I can just say, well, mm -hmm. here, read the list. Oh, okay, that'll work. And I guess with high school kids, you know, you could start with three or four or more. Mm -hmm. But it's generally better to start, you know, a little bit less complex, you know, start with the shorter list. And when it's easy, and it could happen after the first assignment, say, oh, that's easy, great, let's add in the next one or two. I, kind of the opposite of the way Webster used to do it to us, you know, because he would dump the entire thing, all dress-ups, all openers, all decorations, all the triples, in one hour thing, and then the very first assignment we had to write had to do everything in the in the first assignment. You're just it's like stringing your brain out into too many <laughs> different strands all at once. So fortunately, you know, I learned that even teachers need a more gradual runway. Right. So there it is. Units one and two, it's where we start. Super simple exercise. Anyone can do it. And, you know, sometimes people say, well, isn't this too simple mm -hmm. for, you know, a high school student? Mm -hmm. Truth is, I, I've had adults come to the first session of a TWSS, mm -hmm. learn this, and say, wow, this is going to help me. Right. So I teach the same thing to people, whether they're in second grade or graduate school. Right. You know, it's a pathway. Exactly. And you want, you want everyone to start at the, at the beginning of the path because you can't just drop people in halfway down and expect them to have the foundation they'll need. Right. So 
Today we've laid a foundation, and then next month, at the end of September, in preparation for October, we will talk about Unit 3 and continue to do about a unit a month until May. How does that sound? That is the way we do it, isn't it? That's, that's great. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudois and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.